Hi everyone, I'm Amy. I'm going to be giving a reflection today. In the year, um, past year, when I was working as a chaplain, my hectic structureless schedule and constant emotional exhaustion meant that I rarely started sermon prep in earnest before Sunday morning. <laughs> it was not ideal, um, but it, at a time, but in a time when I had little energy for my church communities, continuing to preach sometimes was a small act of service and an opportunity for a reflection that was spiritually nurturing to me. When I left my job, I am in among other for many reasons, as a lot of you have heard more about. Um, I imagined that I would have some more time for writing and reflection. And preparing to preach would again be something that I did in a reasonably relaxed manner over a number of days. And then the past several weeks happened. Two family members having health crises um, and a nine-year-old who has become quite a bit more clingy and needy um, given the stress and disruption of the past few, past few weeks. I had countless hours stuck at home with kids in, a in our distractedly chaotic house and sat through numerous discussions with professionals about what my family needs for me and how important it is that I practice self-care so I can quickly go back to taking care of everyone else. And that is how I wound up at 11 o'clock this morning at Colectivo with a blank Google Doc in a still-closed laptop, crying and eating a cinnamon roll. <laughs> On a regular basis, I have friends and professionals and cute animal memes telling me how well I'm doing, concerning everything that's going on. But those voices, whether loving or patronizing, are drowned out by what I feel I know myself the anger and lack of patience that I constantly work to suppress, the ways in which I have failed to do what things that I now see would have been best for my children. The fact that this morning I ate a cinnamon roll that was more than one day's worth of food according to my health insurance mandated weight loss plan. Though I have all my needs met, food, water, exercise, acts of self-care that I can find time for, I still feel exhausted, cranky, and emotionally fragile. The themes in the worship prep materials and the readings themselves seem to play, place the focus on water and thirst. But as I read through the gospel reading, I'm struck by the same detail that I am often struck by in this passage. Jesus asked the Samaritan women for a drink from the well, and they go on to have this whole conversation the woman points out the oddity of a Jewish man asking for a drink. Jesus claims that he has living water that will eliminate the need to draw water from the well. The woman asks Jesus if he thinks he is greater than Jacob. They discuss a point of theological conflict between the Jews and Samaritans. Jesus flat out says that he's the Messiah. But according to the text, out of everything that Jesus said, the focus of what the woman told her neighbors was, he told me everything I've ever done. Does that seem odd to anyone else? Jesus makes these audacious claims, offering water that will prevent becoming thirsty again, insisting that long-standing arguments about the right place to worship are not relevant because God is spirit, and people must worship God, worship God in spirit and in truth, and even saying that he's the Messiah who they've been waiting for. But the point that she shares, he's told me everything I've ever done. Now, the text says that her initial response to Jesus knowing about her relationship history is, I see that you are a prophet. 
So her focus on this point might be that he seems to have knowledge of things that he couldn't otherwise know, sort of you know, supernatural proof that he's prophet. That doesn't quite add up to me, because it seems unlikely that her history was a secret to anyone in her village. And Jesus could have heard a rumor, um, say, you know, someone saw Jesus approaching her and decided to warn the rabbi that she is not, not considered a respectable woman. I suspect that point was important to her, that it's something more than just thinking that Jesus had supernatural knowledge. I wonder if it seems so remarkable, not just that Jesus knew her, knew her story, but that he knew her story and still spoke to her. He approached her as another human being, two people who shared a need for water on a hot day. He spoke to her of weighty theological matters, the message of a God who is spirit, who calls people to move beyond arguments about religious practice and worship the God who is in whatever place they find themselves. Jesus knew her story, but their discussion didn't include condemnation of her past actions or calls to repentance and conversion. Jesus' proclamation to her was not focused on what's wrong with her, but the needs that God wants to meet and the call to worship God in the place where she is. It's interesting how little the text tells us about this woman's story. I can think of any number of tragic backstories this woman might have. Maybe she was orphaned at a young age and forced by a patriarchal society to remain under the protection of men continuing to marry, marry men no matter how little they cared for her or how easily they threw her away. Maybe she was infertile and was divorced by one husband after another after failing to bear a child. But the text doesn't say that Jesus was willing to speak to her because he knew that she was really a virtuous woman who suffered under unjust circumstances. Her history was mentioned with little detail, almost in passing, as if to say, you might be wondering if I would still speak to you if I knew who you were. Well, I know. Let's get back to the topic at hand. I wonder if the way Jesus approached her showed the woman that Jesus' message was something different from what she'd heard before. A message focused not on her failures, but her, her needs as a human being like any other. A message focused not on preserving factions and distinctions, but on the worship of a God who is present in all places and for all people. A message that was given to her not as one of a crowd of potential converts, but as an individual who is seen, known, and called to share what she had learned. In a lot of cases, I can be kind of uncomfortable with the idea of God relating to or calling calling an individual, um, because I believe that following Jesus is a call to community and to take one's place in the fellowship and the mission of the body of Christ. But Jesus does have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with this woman and in other places in the gospel, and I think there's a powerful truth there. I'm often tempted to think that God calls all of humanity and that includes me as somebody who happens to be a human. And I might have this long list of falls, of flaws, and I might feel that I'm too needy or not particularly effective and useful, but God was good enough to call me along with all the better quality humans. 
Well, I'm hesitant about a discussion of personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with God because of some of the pitfalls that our culture has, the many pitfalls really, that our culture has experienced. I treasure these interactions between Jesus and individual people in the Gospels. In stories like this one, we see Jesus who meets people as they are, with their gifts and virtues and needs and flaws and histories. We see a Jesus that doesn't just take the bad people along with the good people, but one who ignores such distinctions. A Jesus who looks, who sees a child of God in all their complexity and offers them living water to drink and calls them to worship God in spirit and truth. I realize that almost every sermon I've ever preached in Lent comes back to the same point, but I don't think it makes it any less important to say it again. I think that Lent is mo most useful, not when it challenges us to become better people, but when it helps us to accept that we are loved and, loved and called by God, even as we are honest about who we are, with all our needs and weaknesses and flaws and past failures. We can seek to form better habits and be free for, from things that distract us from what is important and true. But nothing we might do to be better people could make God love us more. This is the good news that is proclaimed in the epistle reading today. God proves his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are so many things that make us feel like we're not good enough. We can catalog our flaws, recount all the times that we've fallen short. When our loved ones are going through difficult times, even our most basic needs can feel like failures, getting in the way of tirelessly caring for the people, for our people in the way that we wish we could. Though we pray and work and try, we can still be impatient, short-tempered, envious, paralyzed by fear and regret, and countless other qualities that fail to measure up to what we believe a follower of Jesus should be. But God knew all of this when God made us. Jesus knew this about us, as he taught and healed and walked a road that could only, lead, could only end in suffering at the hands of violent humanity. The Spirit knows this about us and continues each day to be the air that we breathe and the fire of hope that blazes in the face of all that, all that might extinguish it. God knows who we are and everything we've ever done. And still God speaks to us and calls us and fills us with a spring of living water that will never run dry.